You are listening to the Practice Growth Podcast with Sean Terrell. Welcome to the Practice Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Terrell, and really excited about this week's discussion and our guest, Matt Howard. Matt is a certified public accountant, certified valuation analyst, and also accredited in business valuation. He is with Blue & Company, which is a regional CPA firm with locations in Indiana, Ohio, and Kentucky. Matt, great to have you on the Practice Growth Podcast. Thank you for being a guest. Yeah, good morning, Sean. Glad to be here. So the place that I always like to start in every episode is just with some context for the audience. So if you could share a little background on how you reached this current point in your career. Yeah, well, great. Well, uh, again, thanks for having me on. Uh, I am Matt Howard. I started my career, uh, like a lot of CPAs, putting their time in in one of the big four. Uh, specifically, I started at KPMG and I traveled uh for three years uh, all over the world uh, and really enjoyed it. And it was a good experience, but found my way back home after about three years of tenure with KPMG and audit, and then moved into uh, Blue & Company, uh, my home for um, many years now. And I've, I've uh, settled on what I've always been more passionate about, and that is uh, small business. And even more specifically these days, uh, small business, almost exclusively in dental now. Um, so Blue & Company is a regional CPA firm from a geography standpoint. However, we have uh, really just had a great time in healthcare. So we're, we're a, top 50, a top 60 CPA firm from a size perspective, but from a healthcare uh, consulting perspective, I'm making up my own statistics here. I believe we're in the top 15 or something like that. So our breadth is the ins and outs of healthcare. So we have nurses on staff that you know work with hospital systems and and reimbursement. Um, but again, I've got a group of about 20 valuators in the firm that we work um, on the business valuation side. And so anyway, all that to say is my, my specific focus is on the smaller side of healthcare. And, um, and again, even more uh, specialized than that, really all I do anymore is business valuation or transactional type consulting and dental. And so last year, I believe our team did about, I would say about 300 dental valuations across the, the United States. Great. That's some really good background. So just maybe for a little bit more context uh, on the valuation side and on the consulting side, could you share maybe one or two examples of when you are best leveraged or uh, in what type of transactions or in what type of situations that you're called upon to share your expertise with dental practices? Yeah. Well, uh, great question, Sean. So basically what what I try to make my... Um, my purpose as a business evaluator and, and what I've seen, unfortunately, in the dental industry is, is oftentimes not exactly what I'd call professional transactions. And again, I'm not blaming anybody for that. I just, I, I've seen, um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, 
dual representation type transactions. I've seen a lot of ambiguity about how prices are set. And so really one of my passions is to come into a transaction as a third party. I get paid the exact same amount for every business valuation I do. And in doing so, I can come in and take the emotion out of the transaction. I can, I can come in and set a fair market value pricing. And so what that does is it, is it creates a different tone in the negotiations between a seller and a buyer in that seller generally will hire me to do evaluation of their practice. I come in, we, we don't just run it through a formula. We ask about a hundred questions, ask for about 20 documents and create a 60 plus page report that really clearly intentionally shows exactly how we calculated the price. And that, and it, and it, and it tells about all the add backs of expenses that we made. So let's say, you know, a nephew mowed the lawn once and got paid $5,000 or something, right? We, 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 we specifically put that on one of the first couple of pages of the report. So everybody understands exactly how did we come up with the value? So that's probably the best example I can give you of, of again, what I enjoy doing and what I believe that has really served the industry well in, in creating these professional transactions where you've got somebody setting the price other than the seller, other than the broker, and other than the buyer. And somebody that's just coming in that does this for a living, that, you know, does our absolute best to take in all the relevant factors to come up with a fair pricing. How common or maybe how uncommon is it in the dental industry that that is or is not occurring where you have a, an impartial third party valuation that's done sooner than later as opposed to uh, after the fact or after some evaluation or some price has been thrown out on the table? Yeah. Uh, you know, so a lot of, I, I think everybody probably reads dental economics or similar publications, right? Where you see, oh, you know, a typical practice sells for 70% of collection. So I think we, I think a lot of the industry has these numbers in the back of their minds, right? Of, mm -hmm. of what they think their practice is worth. But, you know, my, my, my best example I can give you is let's say we have a million dollar practice, right? Or $2 million practices. Okay. One that's dropping half a million to the bottom line profit and one that's, you know, dropping $200,000 to the bottom line. Well, if we use, let's say 70% of collections, which is a fairly published rule of thumb in most geographies around the United States, well, we're going to value both of those practices the same. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think profitability matters. I think the 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 practice that you're buying, the their ability to keep their expenses proportional to where they should be is important. And so, again, I think that a lot of times we have these rules of thumbs in the back of our head. I think they serve us well in the idea of giving us a ballpark range, but I don't think they serve us well really coming up with a, a logical, tangible price for a practice. Um, so, so yeah, so sometimes both parties kind of have a figure in the back of their mind um, that they're, they're considering. But what, when I get called on is generally speaking, when, you know, a buyer thinks it's worth 
$500,000 and the seller thinks it's worth $700,000. Or I'm, I'm helping a buyer understand is the practice that they're buying where they, they've got some sort of evaluation, which is completely different than a business valuation <laughs> or some sort of broker's opinion, which again, I'm not mad at anybody. I, you know, I, I think, you know, the, those are fine in some circumstances, but a lot of times they're the, the black box type, type of document. What I mean by that is you don't understand how the value was derived. It, there's a number, you know, documented on that uh, on that piece of paper, but it's not really clear on how it was developed or completely, you know, transparently how it was derived. And so again, that's one of the things that I that I really value and I think is important in a professional transaction and in personal service. Sean, I'm sure you agree is. You know, we're we're not just transferring a business. We're transferring a legacy of the seller that spent thirty to forty years building up this patient base, serving them well, taking great care of the staff. You know, it's not something you really want to be adversarial if you're a buyer. Mm. Uh, you don't really want to be, you know, ticking off the seller <laughs> when you know they've got all these relationships that they hold in their hand. You want it to be. Again, professional, you want it to be, uh, you know, there's always going to be some negotiation, but we want to be, we want it to be good faith negotiation. What I mean by that is, you know, we don't want to be $500,000 off on the purchase price, negotiate for six months and not like each other at the end of the process, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I do believe that, you know, our valuations do kind of help make that process less painful because we're starting from a fair place. What is your role, if any, when you've done your due diligence and you've done your, what you believe is a fair market valuation of a practice and one party, the buyer or the seller, just isn't willing to meet or settle on what that number is? Well, uh, so one of my best examples is... Um, I'm representing a seller or not representing a seller, but a seller has hired me to value their business. Right. And then a buyer comes in and says, well, I feel like it's worth X. <laughs> well, okay. T what did I miss buyer? You know, what have I not factored into my valuation? Well, you didn't factor in the fact that, you know, I'm going to have to spend, you know, $10,000 on a compressor. Well, I did factor that in. That's captured my capital uh, capital expenditure budget that I've built into my valuation model. And I actually have $20,000 reserved for the first year. So again, I, I think, again, a lot of times we get these opinions. And again, what I'm trying to do is take the opinion, the emotion out of it and really helping document why I believe my value is fair. And, and one thing that I do in my valuations is a gut check at the end. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is after I derive my value, I, I, I run it through a, a gut check. And what I mean by that is I say, if this practice stays substantially the same and maybe it just grows by inflation, year one after the buyer buys it. And the buyer's gonna, you know, have some money that they're going to have to spend on equipment. They're going to pay all the same expenses that the seller did. 
And they're going to have some debt service too, because typically most transactions have 100% financing from, you know, a, a dental lending group. Um, that that does that. You know, I would say the the rule, not the exception, is 100% financing. Mm-hmm. So as we record some, this in 2021, that's that's where things stand. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, with that said, is what, what's left over? What's left over before you know? donating a portion to the IRS uh, and, and does it make sense? You know, if, if we've got a million dollar practice and a buyer is being left with $125,000 of cash flow after paying for their debt service, after replacing equipment and before paying taxes, that doesn't make sense. So again, that that's my litmus test at the end that really just says, have I set up this transaction to reward the seller well for building a great practice. But have I also set up the buyer for anticipated success? It, you know, the last thing I ever want to do is set up a transaction that's doomed to fail. And so again, that's why we run that analysis to make sure that it makes sense. And you bring up an interesting point in that usually the more industry experience is on the sell side, right? The buyer maybe has been practicing for a period of time as an associate uh, in a different practice or in the same practice. And they know something about the business of dentistry, but what they're really trying to evaluate is if they buy into said practice is, and kind of what you were alluding to there is, is that a good deal for the buyer as well? Uh, and I know you mentioned in our private prior conversation that you've also done some work on the buy side as well, because just industry-wide, that, that's where there tends to be less uh, representation, uh, broadly speaking. Right. Yeah. So there's, uh, yeah, sellers will hire brokers, right? Mm-hmm. And that broker will help them navigate through the process. <clears throat> and, um, you know, that's typically where I've been hired by a buyer as a buyer representative. Uh, again, not to negotiate, 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 get every dime on the table, but just to help my buyer understand are you what you're anticipating on paying. Maybe I didn't do a business valuation. Maybe a, a broker set the price. Help the buyer understand, is that within the industry norms of what we typically see for a practice like this? <clears throat> and helping them understand, hey, year one. And, 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 you know, we can build in synergistic type items where, you know, a buyer does some endo or places implants instead of restores implants. You know, we can build some of those synergies in that maybe the, the legacy seller has not done clinically. But, you know, just as a gut check, let's say nothing changes buyer. 12 months later, you've done exactly what the... Um, the seller did in let's say 2019, let's throw 2020 out for a moment. Um, you know, what would your life look like? And I think that's, that's the best way you can kind of help these, these buyers really understand what am I paying? What kind of cash flow is available to me after transaction? And does that meet up with my, my goals? Um, is the juice worth the squeeze? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, uh, 
I'd like to get into the uh, a little bit more detail on some of the metrics and the, the different characteristics that you're looking at when uh, providing evaluation for a practice without going all the way down the rabbit hole because I, I you know for our purposes on a podcast that's 20 or 30 minutes I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds but uh, maybe just a, a step deeper beyond the 70% of uh, the previous year's collections as a rough starting point. What are some of the other areas that you're that you're looking at more specifically to come up with a number that's a fair market value for a practice? Yeah, uh, a great question. So there, there are three different approaches to valuation. And again, I'm not going to run through them all because like you said, we've only got a limited amount of time and not everybody wants to hear a CPA talk about business valuation <laughs> as much as that shocks me. Um, Give me the broad strokes, right? Matt? Yeah, right. So we've got the asset approach. That, that approach is basically me coming in and doing equipment appraisal. That's typically not a, a typical value approach that we use in order to value a practice, unless it's very unhealthy. Let's say a dentist hasn't been in it for six months. Somebody passed away or relocated and it's the practice is just basically a shell. That's a, we don't do that very often. Um, then there's two other approaches. One's called the market approach and one's called the income approach. <clears throat> the market approach is basically like, buying a piece of residential real estate, right? You've got a house down the street, same bed, same bath, sold for a half million dollars. Therefore, my house should sell for a half a million dollars. Mm. That that exists out there. I've got databases full of transactions from third-party publishers that publish this data. I find it very interesting, but what I find very difficult most of the time is linking my subject practice that I'm looking at to what's what's documented because what's documented doesn't always give me all the information I want. So you talk about variables, right? I say there's about a hundred variables in personal service dentistry. So some dentists do their own hygiene checks still, and they love that. Some have robust hygiene departments. Some use CEREC machines very well, uh, you know, and, and love the efficiency that they get through that. Uh, you know, some dentists, you know, place implants, some restore them. I mean, there's just so many differences. So even if I had a transaction that closed one mile down the road yesterday, I'm still not completely sure unless I know about a hundred different things about that practice. Is it a really good representation of what's going on in the practice that I'm valuing? So we do use the market approach here and there, but typically I find it very hard to to define all these different variables mm -hmm. and make sure they match with my subject practice. So that leaves the last approach and that's an income approach. It's really just really looking at the specific economics of the practice. And the thing that I love about the income approach is I believe it does a great job of capturing the, the geography of the practice. So, you know, if we're in Nowheresville, Indiana, or no words, Iowa, Iowa, you know, we, we we're, we're going to have a different fee schedule than if we were in Manhattan, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to have a much different staffing cost. We're going to have rent. That's much different. And again, all these things flow through the profit and loss, the revenues minus the expenses. And, and, and so geography to me matters, right? From a buyer pool perspective 
and from an economics perspective. What do we have going on in that area? And I believe the income approach does a great job of capturing that story that's being told through the numbers. Um, other variables that we need to take into consideration are, you know, how, you know, how healthy is the hygiene department? You know, sometimes that's that's an important factor, right? Because a dentist isn't really doing all that work. They're just managing and doing the, the hygiene check at the end of that process. That's more of what we call passive generation of income rather than them using their neck muscles and back muscles to get the dentistry done. So that's a component. Uh, you know, this type of specialty work, uh, that's being performed, if any, at the practice or if it's a bread and butter practice. What's the competition profile? How many dentists per population do we have? Again, I could go on probably for another 10 minutes if I had to, <laughs> but there are there are a lot of variables at play. And that's where we really like doing the deep dive to try to understand all those variables and see how they build into a fair market value uh, for the practice. When the seller owns some portion of the real estate associated with the practice, how does that factor in? Yeah, that opens up the the um, the uh, the side of my job that is less valuation and more uh, quote unquote forensic, right? So my job is to get us to the true operations of the practice, and what that means is. <clears throat> I need to take out the pension safe harbor match that's associated with the owners because let's be honest, that's just an extension of the way that they pay themselves, right? Right. I need to take out the nephew that got paid $5,000. I need to take out the Maserati lease that probably is not truly necessary for the operations of the practice. You know, I'm, I'm making up ridiculous examples, but, sure. you know, taking out those, 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 those um, expenses that would not need to be inherited by a buyer, but definitely leaving in any that are um, necessary for the, the operations of practice. So, you know, some sellers tell me, well, I did a, a marketing campaign over the last five years and I've been paying 20,000. A buyer wouldn't need to do that. Oh, well, hold on. That marketing campaign has influenced the growth pro profile of your, of your practice. I don't I cannot in good faith take that out of the, the value or the, out of the expenses to increase the value. That doesn't make sense to me because the practice has done better because we've invested this money in this marketing campaign. So that's kind of the analysis that we go through. But in specific to to the building, if we've got, you know, a related party owner, aka the dentist or the wife or the brother-in-law or whoever that owns the building, you can pay whatever rent you want to that other entity that typically holds that, 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 that building. Correct. So what my, what I do and what, you know, again, I'm, I'm truly trying to look at the operations of practice. I'm only really valuing the operations of the practice. Uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to get that real estate. I call it noise out of my valuation. And what I do is basically we, we consult with uh, real estate commercial brokers in the area and try to dial in what would any other landlord that owned this building charge the practice for use of the space. And in doing that, 
we have taken the real estate out of consideration. So whether the buyer is going to buy the real estate that's with the, the practice or wait five years to do so or never buy it, it doesn't matter because now I've adjusted the rent to fair market value rent. Um, so it work, it flows through the practice as it would if anybody else owned that, that, that piece of real estate. What other triggers or... I guess, events within the life cycle of a practice might you be called upon besides the sale or the acquisition? Uh, besides that, what are the other scenarios where you might be called upon to provide evaluation? Yeah, a great question. So again, a lot of, you know, I'd say out of the 300 or so dental valuations we did, I would say a good 250 of them were for transactional type purposes for an associate buy-in, stock type transaction and the like. So that's typical. But the other 50 <clears throat> can sometimes be, and, and there's no better time to talk about uh, your estate planning uh, than a you know epidemic year, <laughs> uh, not to get morbid here, but uh, you know sometimes it's to plan. Uh, we have some clients that basically bring us in every other year to do a business valuation because they believe that's the true way they can measure. Are they adding, are they building a more valuable practice over a period of time? Um, and then there's the, the more um, not so fun situations where we've got a business dispute. So two partners, 50% owners in a practice have an issue, are not able to get past that issue. Therefore, there's a business dispute that we have to do a business valuation for. So, and then marital dissolution. Um, I'm active in about six different cases right now uh, regarding that. And then there's, you know, those are the primary reasons that we get involved. And so there is some value, at least in the minds of some dentists, in having them regularly done, even if there is no triggering event or a sale is not imminent. Yeah, again, we've got some longstanding clients that like to evaluate, have over the last two years or whatever period of time, have I have I added value to my practice? Have I grown it in such a way, you know, so if we grow fast and our expenses are out of whack, well, that can mute the value added, right? Or am I growing in a way that's adding value from a valuation perspective because I'm keeping my expenses in check? I'm growing, you know, nice and slowly so that my expenses don't get out of check. You know, that that's the type of analysis that they enjoy looking at. So back to the transaction, the 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 acquisition or the the sale. Uh, where do things get sideways? I know you mentioned one of the ways was when the buyer is haggling too much over price that can leave a bad taste in the seller's mind and the seller you know, controls the relationships with the staff and the patients. That's one big area. Is there any, is there any other scenario that pops up more frequently than not that things get a little bit sideways? Yeah. Uh, I'd say the, the biggest issue is the integrity of data. And what I mean by that is if you are not actively engaging with your CPA, that's keeping your books, that's helping you prepare your tax return and really making sure that that data has integrity. And quite honestly, if you've got um, everything in your personal world 
interacting with your business world and it's very hard to understand where does the personal stop and where does the business begin and where does the business begin and the personal stop, if you get what I'm saying. The country club memberships, the cars, that type of stuff. Yeah. And again, like as long as they're uh, yeah, again, we can we can make ad backs, but again, the more that we make and the more ambiguous that they are. So if I see dental supplies at 15% when they really should be closer to seven, eight percent, okay, I'm gonna ask some questions. And I'm talking about 15% of revenues, right? <clears throat> I'm going to ask some specific pointed questions about those, those, those buckets and say, okay, does this include labs as well? Maybe that makes sense. Or doc, is there something going on in here that needs to be carved out of my valuation? Because again, what I'm trying to do, I'm, I'm not the IRS. I'm just trying to understand what are the true economics of the practice? What would a buyer be looking at if they bought this? If a seller can't tell that story well, because they just quite honestly don't know because the commingling of their business and their personal is too, uh, they just don't keep great track or they don't understand it completely. Uh, that, that kills deals. Um, I would also say that, you know, I've other things that kill deals is, is advisors that think of a dental practice like a widget factory. Mm. And they think it should go for two times revenue. Uh, that's not exactly how it goes. I, you know, advisors that just don't have, don't, they don't have the industry knowledge of dental and the transactions that you know, they take, uh, that, that can kill deals when a seller has an expectation in their mind or a buyer's representative is really just going to task to try to get a, you know, they're, they're not trying to get a fair market value deal. They're trying to get a steal. And again, mm -hmm. understanding that the emotional costs of that um, is just an important thing to consider. So as we start to sort of wrap up here, as much as you're comfortable sharing uh, prior to engagement with everyone, how is your compensation and engagement model structured? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. So typically, if it's a transactional type valuation, it's fixed fee. And so we'll set a price. Um, and it, and, and a lot of times what I want to do is I want to look at the financial statement of the practice prior to giving them a specific price, because like I said, the integrity of data makes either my job easier or hard. If it's really polished, really done well, they've got a great CPA that they interact with often and make sure their numbers are categorized correctly, et cetera. And, you know, it's the, the data is just sound. That makes my job a lot easier. Therefore, the fees go down. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it, that, that can change it. But so from a transactional nature, though, it's typically fixed fee. I'll give them a price and that's the price. Okay. Yep. Depending then, on how much forensics you envision getting into more exactly. or less. Yep. Yeah. And then thereafter for... Um, more of the litigation type side of things, that's a little bit more open-ended, a little bit more hourly uh, based. Okay. And litigation, maybe just an example of, of what you mean by that. Yep. Business dispute, partnership okay. dispute, marital dissolution, the like, anything that's going to see the light of day uh, in a courtroom. Ah, so the the time and energy involved might be a little bit different on something like that is absolutely is the yeah. takeaway is the takeaway very good very good well for people that are interested in in connecting with you for having a conversation with you for maybe engaging with you what's the best way to get in touch matt yeah uh 
I would say via email at mhoward at blueandco.com, M-H-O-W-A-R-D at sign B-L-U-E-A-N-D-C-O.com. You can also go to blueandco.com and we have our dental survey that we just published for 2020. Uh, That's a great resource, free resource for everybody. I'd encourage you to go there and find our dental practice, uh, which I believe I sent to you, Sean. They can go on there and download that for free. And that takes a look at how COVID affected in practices and just what a typical practice looks like um, using that nationwide data that we have. That's Matt Howard, CPA, ABV, and CVA with Blue & Company. Matt, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for sharing your expertise and for being a guest on the Practice Growth Podcast. Appreciate it, Sean. Really do. Sean Terrell is a registered representative, certified exit planner, and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. PAS is a direct, wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Terrell Financial is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS, Guardian, or Terrell Financial, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Compliance tracking number 2021-118565. Expiration date, March 2023.